I was struggling. And it, I knew that it was affecting my work performance, and I knew that everybody knew that I was acting different. And so I was just like, listen, here's the deal. You're listening to the latest dose of Bipolar Recorder. This podcast may cause dizziness and blurred vision. Enjoy. Welcome back to Bipolar Recorder. My name is Hunter Keegan. Thanks for joining me today. This is one of the installments that was recorded back in early November, shortly before I had my holiday crisis. My friend Rowan Hart joined us once again to have a chat. As opposed to all these heavy installments that we've been doing lately, this is actually a pretty chill conversation that is overall light in nature. There are no major content warnings for this one. In the first half of the installment, Rowan talks a lot about the nuances of relationships, dating, and love while living with mental illness. The second half of the installment transitions to focusing on me more heavily. I talk a lot about what led up to my holiday crisis, event, scenario, incident, whatever you want to call it that I discussed in episode 29. The conversation eerily foreshadows what happened, and I think this is really interesting, so I kept it in the installment for today. Let's go ahead and get started. Rowan Hart is back. Hi. Rowan, how are you? Um, I'm actually doing like really good, all things considered. Okay. Uh, really good in like an actual good way or like a I might possibly be entering an episode kind of way? Um, I think it's it's dangerously deceptive with mm-hmm. the mood disorders. Very I good point. I think it's just regular good, like stable good. Um, but time will tell if it's going to turn into an episode, I suppose. How long have um, you been feeling super good for? A couple weeks. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's a prolonged yeah. period. Yeah. But as long as it's staying in check and doesn't seem to be getting weird, that's fantastic. It is. I did spend a little bit of money. Yeah. Day that I probably shouldn't have said, um, which does tend to coincide with my like more uh, manicness, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I I haven't slept like super great the last couple of weeks, but part of that was because I got sick and I think I just need to change sedatives. Um, but definitely there are some signage of potential, at least hypomania, but I don't feel as stupidly confident as I normally do when I'm getting manic. Like, I, like, like I'll be <laughs> real brave. <laughs> um, and I feel, like, good, and I feel confident, but I don't feel, like, confident. Is that like that? 
You don't feel grandiose. Yes. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm bigger than my own bridges. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the audience, and speaking of times when we do get too big for our britches and we do get too grandiose, could you please tell the crowd what your diagnoses are? Sure. Um, let's see. I got a slew of them. You're talking just cognitive, I presume? I got ADHD. I have obsessive compulsive disorder. I have generalized anxiety disorder. I have, some, I have complex PTSD and I have um, bipolar disorder, type one. BP type one. Mm-hmm. Along with OCD and those other conditions, OCD is so. I have bipolar type one and OCD, or at least in the past, I've had really bad problems with OCD. I'm very, very fortunate to say that I've been able to, you know, work on that a lot in therapy. And it's, it's not the sort of thing that really fucks my days up anymore. Hey, congrats, man. That's fucking rad. It's I, yeah, I I don't know how it happened. There was a period in my life where OCD was just totally messing me up. Like I was afraid Mm -hmm. to leave my house. I was doing all sorts of compulsive rituals and things How's your OCD these days? Are you in a maintenance phase? Is it still something that messes with you? Actually, it's it's very interesting. <clears throat> um, this year, my OCD has been kind of a roller coaster. Um, mm. Earlier in the year, I uh, went through a couple of uh, really bad depressive episodes, actually. Um, they were very intense. They were very long. One of them was due to a med change. Um, and uh, during those, obviously, I was having a lot of uh, intrusive thoughts um, that were uh, very of the unaliving myself variety. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very much uh, something that was like persistent. Like I was having intrusive thought back to back to back to back and i was having really strong compulsions to act on them Mm. um i didn't good (laughs) but you know it was a close call still Um, here yeah yeah didn't didn't get hospitalized that round so we're good Good. um and then lately i've been in a really good place and i've noticed the last few weeks my ocd has been worse and I think that it's because, well, number one, mental illness is a bitch. And, you know, you can't be doing too good for too long, right? Um, mm-hmm. But on top of that, I think I I am feeling much less stressed out and much less, like, burdened by things. And I think that that has freed up my executive functioning enough for me to obsess over things again. Mm. <laughs> Which is not ideal. but. I have therapy tomorrow, so I'm gonna bring it up. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, intrusive thoughts are are a symptom of mania for some people too. For sure. So, how old were you uh, when you were diagnosed with OCD? I was. This is 2015. Okay, so I was. 22? 22 years old. And how old were you when you were diagnosed with bipolar? I was 20. 
27. 27. 26 or 27. I think 27. That was 2019. Okay. So, uh, how old are you now? I am almost 30. Yeah. Okay. So we're both in the 29 club. Crazy. We made it past the 27 club though, which I'm proud of. The day I turned 28, I had just the weirdest kind of like grieving process (laughs) because like so many people who are mentally ill, particularly if they're the like (laughs) extraordinarily creative variety, um, you know, as everybody knows, they don't make it past the 27 club. Um, and the day I turned 28, um, I shed a lot of grief and, um, I definitely felt like strange because like, I wasn't supposed to make it this far. (laughs) What do I do now? (laughs) Um, so, so yeah, it's been, it's been interesting, but I'll be 30 in a few months. Yeah, you know, not joining the 27 Club was a big goal of mine, too, right. for that year in my life. I was like, really don't want to not outlive Kurt Cobain was, like, my goal for that year. I was like, I'm going to make it to 28, and then I'm going to find another goal to have mm-hmm. before I die. I um, I learned this thing a while back. Um that is a tool that I use particularly when I'm in depressive episodes, but I think it's kind of useful all the time, but I am (laughs) because of my particular breed of trauma and my personality type, which I'm sure was shaped by my trauma. (laughs) Um, uh, Because of those factors though, I uh, am uh, particularly prone to wanting to please other people and like not let other people down. And I know that that's a trait that a lot of people have. Um, and I've learned to like trick my brain a little bit because especially if I'm like in a real bad depressive episode and I'm like kind of suicidal. Um, if I just like make plans for like relatively near in the future, like within the next week, then I can't kill myself because I have plans and I can't let those people down. You know what I mean? Like you can't just die when you got shit to do. (laughs) You know, it sounds so silly and we can laugh about it, but it's actually like so helpful. Like I do that too. I, um, and it's, it's different, but I, I did that with, you know, when I was getting clean from alcohol and stuff, You know, I would just set those like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to go out. I'm going to do stuff. I'm going to find things to fill my time. And if I get fucked up, I'm not going to be able to do those things. So you can kind of, you know, filter that concept into other areas, too. It's not a bad coping strategy at all. No, for sure. And I also like the technique of um, which doesn't always work if you're mentally ill, obviously. Um, but if you're in some kind of situational depression, that's not necessarily chemical, or if you are going through a grieving process, because that's a very different type of sadness, like some specific breed of sadness, then I find it super helpful to like, basically make an end date, be like, all right, I got a month to get the fuck over this. 
And by, you know, December 3rd, I'm getting my shit together. <laughs> like, it's just, I'm not going to be fucking fucked up over this anymore. Um, and I found that to also be kind of helpful. And it doesn't always work, like, obviously on the dot, because we're not, you know, psychic. Um, but it does help me, I feel like, start to pack up the emotion, because, like, I know that the deadline is approaching, if that makes sense. Mm. So, in terms of practical questions, practical items that are also relevant for the crowd sometimes, are you still living up in Buffalo, New York? I am. I still live in New York. We're coming into winter. It hasn't snowed yet, and everybody here is shocked. That is wild that it hasn't snowed yeah. there yet. It's been getting pretty cold. So I live in Southern Virginia now, which is awesome, but I'm up in the mountains and it's getting colder up here mm-hmm. faster than I'm used to. So I'm kind of learning to live with that. But overall, you know, the move has been really good, but I've uh, I've been having some mood cycles that I've been dealing with lately, and we can talk more about that later. Sure. So, and you're still working full time, right? I am still I am. working full time, holding down that job while living with these serious mental health conditions. That's incredible. I mean, one time a therapist described it to me this way and I never really thought about it but she was like you know what you are doing is like incredible like people who start at base level zero no mental illnesses sometimes still can't do what you do and for you to do what you are doing at the rate that you are doing it and excelling at it with the mental illnesses I mean you're working like 400 times harder than everybody else And I never really thought about it like that, honestly, because it's such a, like, normal thing for me. Like, this is just how my brain operates. Um, But it did help me, like, give myself grace. Like, um, Mm -hmm. when I am not doing as well, I do have to remember, like, sometimes I'm not firing on all cylinders. (laughs) Like, I got a lot going on in the noodle. Yeah, you absolutely deserve to give yourself credit for that. That's amazing. Thank you. You know, it's like, it's crazy, but these are disabilities, right? These are things that are supposed to impact our occupational functioning and our life functioning. Quality of life. Yeah. 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 But it sounds like your occupational functioning is great right now. And overall, how is life? How would you describe your overall life functioning? Um, well, whereas work is concerned, I am very fortunate that I work for a company actually who uh, or for a nonprofit, a local nonprofit who um specializes in um providing services to people with disabilities. So I come from a workplace that is very understanding about mental illnesses and stuff. Yeah. Um, so that really helps. Um, my bosses are super supportive. Like I actually told them like um, around April when I was going through my med change and I was having that first really big depressive episode of the year. Um, I actually told my bosses that I have bipolar disorder because I was 
struggling. And I knew that it was affecting my work performance. And I knew that everybody knew that I was acting different. And so I was just like, listen, here's the deal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They were like really receptive, very respectful. You know, they asked if there was any way they could support me. And honestly, just the flexibility that comes with my job, which I am also very fortunate about, um, is, is great for me. Like I can go in late, I can leave early, I can take a day off last minute, as long as I get somebody to cover my clients or I reschedule their appointments. Um, so there's a lot of flexibility, which is really good for people with mental health issues. And the benefits are really nice. Like I get to go to therapy on the clock. Nice. Like it's in my building. I just have to walk down there. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so that's a really neat facet. Um, and we get like five weeks PTO, like right out the gate. So like if I need to take some time off because my mental health is in the garbage can, mm-hmm. I can do that. Um, so that really helps my overall quality of life. Um, Otherwise, I'm doing really well. Um, my companion is um, about to move in with me. Oh, okay. And that's really exciting. Um, probably in January. And this, you know, you know, thing that we're in is going really well. And he's been just a absolute gem <laughs> and um that's really helping my quality of life because i'm a you know i'm a love like i just i love love i <laughs> just love love a lover and, um, not a hater oh no 100 like full stop um so that's been really helping my quality of life and honestly you know i like where i live i like the weather um so all of that has been definitely contributing to the better mood that I'm yeah, having strong relationships is super important. How long have you known this companion for? Um, well, <laughs> um, we uh we met last year. Okay. Um, our uh our one year anniversary is tomorrow. Oh, congratulations! So last you knew, I was going through a bit of a breakup, <laughs> mm-hmm. and he was having some like I'm not gonna all his business obviously he was having a lot of really personal issues with his own mental health um and because of that he wanted to dissolve the relationship because the expectations that came with the labels that come with the relationship were really hard for him while he was trying to muddle through this thing that he was working on Mm -hmm. and um so we were technically broken up for a while like two months um but we never really kind of stopped interacting like we were not broken up. Like, I mean, we still said, like, I love you and I miss you and mm-hmm. talked a lot on the phone. <laughs> so we just weren't seeing each other in person, essentially. Um, but, uh, you know, I was starting to see other people, um, not because I was over him. I was still very much in love with him. But you know, I gotta, like, take care of myself, and if that wasn't gonna happen, you know, like, I gotta tend to my needs other ways. Are um, you still, uh, I'm sorry, are you still about that, or are you still about that polyamory life? That's coming in the story. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. but I, I very much, you know, I am poly, so, like, um, it's easier for me to compartmentalize my feelings for one person, and still allow myself to have feelings for another person, so I was still very much in love with him, but I was seeing some other people. 
And um, he was just like irrationally jealous about that. And I, <laughs> I mean that in a very loving way. It was yeah. honestly kind of sweet. Um, but he was not like, you know, controlling in any capacity. I didn't actually know that he was jealous for a little while even. Um, but um, everything kind of came to a head one day and we were like having a serious discussion and, you know, we had been talking for a little bit about him moving in and kind of just the <clears throat> the uh the being together thing just happened again like um we just one day here we are and tomorrow's our anniversary <laughs> so yeah. we're just gonna gloss over the fact that we weren't together for two months and let it happen because we weren't like out of each other's lives or anything um okay but, uh, but yeah, so it's, I've known him for over a year. <laughs> well, that's good that it's still going strong and y'all were able to work out your differences. It sounds like it was probably a big growing process for yeah, him I mean, particularly, it sounds like. Oh, he had yeah. some hangups. Oh, he's done so much growing and I'm so proud of him. Like he's okay. put so much effort. Nice. Um, but it was never really a matter of us like not working out or things being difficult. It was just, his mental state and my mental state at the time was also not the best, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, makes things really difficult when you're in a relationship and you're mentally ill. Um, but, uh, you know, we decided that we can figure it out together. Cool. Well, I hope, I hope that keeps going well. Oh yeah. I've been irrationally happy for the last several weeks. Like it's, been kind of a dream and he planned the perfect like anniversary for me tomorrow so excited oh you're so in love yeah (laughs) it's kind of (laughs) gross I don't know. I I think uh, being super in love is super cool. So I'm very happy for you. And I don't think it's gross. I think it's amazing. I'm a big fan. I'm a big proponent of love. You know, Um, I've been a definitive crush girl my whole life. (laughs) always got a crush on somebody and it's always very intense um that's probably the bipolar disorder actually (laughs) like the intensity it's definitely the emotional dysregulation it's (laughs) It's like it's like relationship ocd or something (laughs) um wait how old were you the first time you fell in love that is such an interesting question (laughs) because like i said definitive crush girl like you know there are like horse girls that are like equine just obsessed and i do mean obsessed in like the actual definition of the word obsessed i was a crush girl like i had a crush i'm and i'm bi so i had a crush on everybody for like Uh... my whole life i was just crushing on people so like and and also like platonic and romantic love are very similar to me like I have a really hard time distinguishing between them like no act is inherently romantic to me nor is any act like inherently platonic like I can hold hands with or cuddle with my friends and it'd be completely platonic um and you know I could you know probably have sex with them and also would be completely platonic like you know it's just about intent with me but because of that i don't know 
And also, they say that, like, every time you fall in love, it's different. Like, every time. Like, every love that you have is a different type of love. And I believe that's actually really true. Because with what I'm feeling for Drew, like, to the intensity that I feel it, and in the ways that, like, my body physically feels it, I would say that I've never been in love before Drew. (laughs) But... There are also other times in my life that I knew or thought when I was with somebody that I definitely wasn't with them. And so, I don't know, I keep moving that goalpost. So, interesting question. Um, I will offer you a compromise answer because I don't know the actual answer and say that I have been in about six uh, very serious long-term relationships. Yeah, like actual relationship relationships. Yeah, like over a year, at least. Okay. Um, right some on. up to four. Yeah. So did you start crushing on girls or guys first? My first ever crush. His name was Tyler Walker. <laughs> we went to preschool together. and. Okay. I was in love with Tyler. Tyler Walker, if you're listening to this, you're a bitch. (laughs) I was in love with Tyler Walker um, from preschool to age 17. And the way that worked is that he and I went to the same school for preschool and first grade, or preschool, kindergarten, and first grade. And then I uh, swapped schools, and I swapped schools a series of times. And then at 17, I found, or no, uh, I went back to that same school for third grade and swapped schools again. And then I came back when I was 17 and I had not seen Tyler Walker since first grade because I was gone for second grade and then he was gone for third grade. So at 17, we wound up at the same school that we started at together again and I just I was everything flooded back to me I was still in love with him I swear and then you know he hated me like he just absolutely hated me like I remember him like you know boys when they're little they're like oh girls are cooties and they like run away and stuff and he did that and then as he got older, it got more aggressive. Like at 17, the man called me a bitch. And I was like, absolutely <laughs> not. Yeah, that's um, not cool. But no, he was really shitty at 17. And that made me just very happy that that didn't work out. And uh, <laughs> then uh, funnily enough, I changed schools again. And then our senior year, we ended up at a different school together. <laughs> Okay, wow. That's that a wild? That's a roller coaster right there. Holy shit. Um, but yeah, so boys, I guess Tyler Walker was my my first love, I feel like. Amazing. Tyler Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah, sounds sounds unfortunate that that didn't work out, but you know what? That you, that's just one of those things in life where you live, yep. you learn and you move on. Mhm. So overall, what's the best thing that has happened to you this year? Can it be about somebody else if it just made me really happy? <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, my favorite thing then that came out of this year is honestly Drew's growth. 
like him being able to put himself in a better mental place and really want to work towards like having a union with somebody, which is something that he never really kind of allowed himself to have before. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think like, I don't know if he's going to listen to this later. (laughs) Um, So like I might be missing the mark and he can, he can have at me in private about that. But because I think like he's maybe finally in a place where he's like letting himself have good things, which he wouldn't do before. And Mm. I think that takes a lot of growth and a lot of vulnerability, which I know scares him. And I don't know. I'm just really proud of him for trying. And I know that this like growth journey from him also like contributed to our relationship being so good um, or our companionship being so good. Um, And yeah, I don't know. That's probably the best thing that quote unquote happened to me this year. That's amazing. (laughs) Seeing that growth in someone else who you really care about. For sure. Here is where we shift gears a bit, and Rowan asks me about my year. Remember that this installment was recorded just a couple of weeks before my holiday drug relapse and mental health crisis. I tell Rowan about the life disruptions and mood episodes I had been experiencing from May until the time of the recording in early November. The conversation eerily foreshadows the crisis as I directly touch on a lot of the issues that would ultimately lead up to the event. Note that I reference some things, such as the fallout of the stalking and harassment that my ex-girlfriend engaged in after I broke up with her. As far as practicing self-care strategies goes... You Wait, gotta what? tell me what your good thing was for the year. Oh, my good thing yeah. for the year. Oh man, it's been such a crazy, crazy <laughs> year. Right. I know what you've gone through this year. <laughs> I yeah, a lot of people don't realize that I have a life as well and a serious mental illness as well. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I do live with every day. And the last year of my life. You know, it started started out really solid for like the first six months or so, January yeah. up until late May, and then there was this really, really awful, inciting incident that I can't really go into too much detail about, and that really started fucking with my mood cycles, so next thing I knew... I was having uh, hypomanic episodes and then I was just like hitting a wall and crashing for like five days and it's it, it was really up and down and then I was relocating uh, from my hometown for the first time, you know. Which is huge, like that is no small feat, like amongst um, non-mentally ill folks. There was a survey done, and the single most stressful life event that any person, any adult person could go through is moving. 
Yeah, it was it was a lot. And one of the things about it is, um, you know, I was moving a couple hundred miles. I had never really done that before, you know, I except for when I was in college. But I don't think that's really the same, you know, like right, it, it feels like temporary if it's for college. Yeah. It's and like, it, it's a yeah. vacation. And, and it's like dorm rooms and shit. Yeah. It's not it's not really the same. Um so anyhow, yeah, I finally had the opportunity to do something that I'd really want to have been doing for like the last 10 years, which was move out of the hustle and bustle of Northern Virginia and kind of get out in a more chill, laid back environment. So now I live in Southern Virginia and that's been a really big transition too. And it's been a really positive transition in most ways, but also it's a major life stressor. And part of the thing with moving down here is uh, for like basically all of August, I was living in my childhood home with my parents. And that's tough. That was really tough. And that's it like got, reporting to you from the scene of the crime. <laughs> like, that's rough. Well, literally. And so, like, I was uh, having to sleep in the basement where, like, I was detained by cops. And, you know, like, I used to, you know, just drink down there for like days at a time. And there's so just great all, memories. Just all of this really, really heavy emotional baggage. Yeah. Um, associated with that environment so that was causing like depressive symptoms and keep in mind i'm also like moving all my stuff into a storage unit and actively trying to find a new place to live and like driving around like the tri-state area trying to find a city that i vibe with and everything so it's just been a whole lot but I I think overall right now I'm doing like okay, but I've been having to check in with my therapist a lot lately and I had to make some pretty, not like major, but definitely significant medication adjustments because I was going through like a debilitating depression a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, like I had to take time off of work and stuff. And earlier you were talking about how supportive your work environment is. And I'm really blessed to be able to say right now I have a similar thing. Like like I um my coworkers know that I have a disability. I've just never told them specifically what, but I think at this point I've worked at this company for you know, going on a couple of years now and people have, I think, figured it out that it's like mental health related. Mm -hmm. There is one coworker who I have who I'm like pretty tight with and I've shared with her really a whole lot about my story. Um, And anyway, um, I was just I was at a point where I couldn't focus at work at all. And I was like falling asleep at my desk and stuff because I was sleeping less than like two hours a night. And uh, luckily I work from home. So it wasn't like people were able to see me like 
you know, nodding off while I'm trying to get stuff done. But uh, yeah, it just, it, it was getting so bad that I had to email my boss because I work remotely. Mm-hmm. So um, I had to like email my boss and just be like, hey man, like it's going down. You're like, I need some time. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't really go into a whole lot of specifics, but I was just like, I have a disability that's like really exacerbated by life stress and i've been having just like a ton of anxiety and paranoia lately i shared some other life things with him Mm -hmm. that have been going on and just to give him some context for why these things this anxiety and paranoia has been occurring right and he was just like totally cool about it which was really impressive because we we were busy like we're a pretty small business So I have a small team that I work with. And when one of us is unexpectedly out of office, it can really fuck things up for the rest of the team, which. Oh, yeah, I get that. Yeah. So um, but really, like my boss was cool about it. And my small group of team members like stepped in and really stepped up to the plate. And I was able to take a couple of days off of work. To to try to get some rest. Yeah. So I took like a few days off of work and came back and guess what? I still felt just as bad. Like I had, I had been trying to sleep, but like the insomnia was still awful. My concentration was still totally fucked up. Um, Just like extreme fatigue and being totally scatterbrained. So I um, actually had to have an appointment with my psychiatrist. Coincidentally, we had an appointment scheduled already. Nice. Yeah. So it was like perfect timing actually. And and so that's why I had like a big medication adjustment recently that I'm still kind of getting used to. And I'm still kind of stabilizing after this major depression. I, I mean, it was a major depressive episode. It went for over two weeks and I'm on medication already so imagine how bad that would have been if I like wasn't in treatment. Right. If we were on like mood stabilizers. Yeah. And, and so lately I've been thinking more and more about the fact that I take a lot of psychotropic medication to function. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to think like, is this something that I'm really going to do for the rest of my life? And I keep going back and forth on if I want to experiment with discontinuing medication, but when events like this recent episode, this recent cycle that I had happen, it makes me wonder, it's like, it makes me wonder, it's just like, how much worse would that have been? Would it have been the same? Like, are the meds doing anything at all? Oh, no. I think if it was that bad, you probably would have been hospitalized if you weren't medicated. Really? Probably. Yeah, I don't know. I um I uh have had really, really bad depressive episodes, as you know. Like I've had psychotic depressions and stuff. So oh, yeah. it's it's like it, 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 for me, I think mania is more dangerous personally, just like for me as an individual. Mm-hmm. But um I love my mania. My mania, top shelf, 10 out of 10. I feel great. But like the depressive episodes, I want to die so hard. (laughs) Like that is definitely a dangerous, more dangerous place I feel like for me to be in. 
Yeah, no. Um, so my thing is like, I have gone through like suicidal depression and stuff, but I'm somehow able to hang in there. When I was full bore manic and like ended up in the hospital and shit, it was just getting so outrageously dangerous. And I have so many problems with hospitalization and shit. Like, I think there was another answer besides having to go inpatient and have the police involved and everything. I really, really think that could have been resolved a lot differently, um, especially with like the maturity and knowledge that I have now. But, um, during that manic episode, like it's a miracle that I didn't get in a, you know, life threatening or life ending car accident or something from like driving True. recklessly yeah, or ac- accidentally yeah. overdosing on medication. Cause I used to drink hard liquor on top of like Xanax and stuff to uh, get fucked up. And there were a couple of times where, and I'm just sharing this because, like, I try to be totally real about my life with people sure. and shit. And, like, I've come a really long way. And, I like, that's amazing. But, like, things did used to be, like, really fucking bad. Like, really, really not good. I don't know. I just think it's important to talk openly about addiction issues. I've been sober from alcohol for almost seven years now. If I make it to January... So I've got my fingers crossed for that. But, um, you know, I've, I've had some other stuff going on, like where I think I've been using marijuana kind of excessively and things like that. So I'm actually in a place right now where I've been reevaluating a whole lot of things in my life and really taking stock of like what's currently important to me and how I want to maintain things. So, um, yeah, anyway, this has just been a total rant, but I, I guess the point is that I've been having a whole lot of stuff going on. And to be honest, like first six months of the year were chill, but the last like five months and probably going through the end of the year have been pretty intense. And, um, it's, uh, it's been it's been pretty real so i'm i'm hanging in there i uh one of the key coping strategies i'm using right now actually is the podcast uh to just have projects to focus on and things to work on and i'm wrapping up uh the final production on this new album that i've been working on and hell yeah hopefully that'll be out there within the next few weeks or so it's just like it's just like a crazy little you know music creative project thing that i do for my own crazy pleasure and i like to share it with people you know some people get it some people don't but that's what it's all about man like i'm just into creating art well, I know what you've been through, like the personal stuff that you don't want to talk about here, which is... Yeah, I, I just unfortunately can't. Just a quick heads up that Rowan references the quote-unquote hard thing a few times here. And that situation that we're discussing was when I broke up with my ex at the time of the recording... That information was not public yet, but now that the cat's out of the bag, there's no need for me to leave things ambiguous.
no, I totally get that. I know you've been through, it's been a really tumultuous year for a lot of us, but especially mm-hmm. you. Um, and honestly, I'm really proud of you. I'm proud of you for doing the hard thing and removing yourself from the situation that we are not discussing and also for doing the hard thing and moving and for doing the hard thing and living with your parents for a little while for doing the hard thing and like making the mad adjustments adjustments and being introspective and like looking at how you can better your life which is something that not a lot of people can do and also for like your sobriety what look at you go yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for calling it the hard thing. <laughs> I like I like how it's like just ambiguous enough. Um, well, it was a situation. It was the hard thing. Yeah, it no, was a hard thing. That was the that's a good way to put it. Not drinking. That's kind of like the number one thing for me. Staying the fuck away from alcohol, um, and I've been able to keep doing that. And you know. I, uh, I've just been focusing on trying to get back on a good sleep cycle, but me too, bro. But I've been on like heavy, um, heavy sleep meds over the last like week, just like Seroquel heavy or like, like Klonopin heavy. Oh, see, Klonopin's not that bad for me. Yeah. But like, it's a pretty hardcore medication yeah and my doctor i i just had this really honest conversation with my psychiatrist and i was like i was like listen like i have been sleeping less than two hours a night for the last week and a half and i i just cannot sleep like can i get a uh refill on my clonopin and he actually increased the dose which was cool um but just just temporarily while right. I'm kind of getting stabilized. But, you know, it's hard to feel stabilized when you're taking a downer at night just to sleep. And then you wake up the next day and it's like, all right, now I'm going to take Adderall I know, for right? my ADHD. It's like what, you know, it, it's... um. The whole pharmaceutical very, thing is like yeah, crazy. You feel very like paradoxical. <laughs> It's yeah, it's weird. And I mean, a lot of people would like in the AA or NA crowd, they would not consider my lifestyle to be like (laughs) remotely sober. You know what I mean? Because I, you know, I do take narcotic medication and it's prescribed by a physician, but But you don't abuse the things like you take them the way that they are directed usually that's true usually listen we're mentally ill we all self-medicate at some point i'm not advising it i'm not saying it's good but no it's necessary i've had to be extremely careful lately especially with the clonopin because um my brain is wired for like downers so I have to be really careful when I take any sort of depressant medication like Klonopin or Xanax or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just have to, I have to be careful with that shit, but yeah, I'm just trying to, just trying to make it through. No, no big deal. Well, I'm proud of you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm hanging in there. Uh, I mean, in positive news, in in the last year, I got a big promotion at work. I got 
you know, a bonus at work. You moved away? I moved away from my hometown that I was sick of and that was totally draining my mental health. So, uh, I yeah, there's good things happening, but they're also like really big things that really make an impact on kind of everything. Yeah, especially when you have a mood disorder that like is very easily swayed by life events. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Man, I wish I could talk about the hard thing. I'm going to talk to you about that after we we finish up recording, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Oh, man. You were going to ask me a self-care question, and I derailed you. If you would like to ask that now, I'm here to listen. Oh, yeah, that was like <laughs> 15 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, what self-care have you been practicing lately? Well, um, I am doing the thing that I kind of always do that I was kind of, it was ingrained in me by a therapist once that I'm not allowed to like <laughs> recluse. Like I'm not allowed. I'm a, I'm an extrovert. I'm an outgoing extrovert. On top of that, I have two disorders that are characterized by kind of socialization. So I am a very people person, very chatty person, and uh, I've been taught that I'm not allowed to hermit myself when I don't feel well, um, so most of what I do for self-care is honestly just keeping in contact with the people I love, like my inner circle people, making sure like they know what's going on with my mental health so that they can watch out for certain things if need be, um, or just making sure that I talk to them so that I'm not like having this like longing of like wanting to be around them and see them and talk to them and stuff um and then that helps keep my mood in check and honestly that's the biggest thing for me self-care wise like like literally socialization is the biggest thing for me um but outside of that i'm currently in a job that affords me you know the (laughs) the ability to be mentally ill (laughs) um (laughs) It is not a well-paying job, so I do have a little bit of poverty anxiety still rolling around in the background, but for the Mm. most part, it's good for me. Um, I'm doing the love thing with my companion, Drew, so, like, that is really, really good for me as well, because, like, being in love just, like, really boosts a person's mood, but especially mine. Um, And I've been, you know doing a lot of like self growth stuff, like figuring out, um, you know, new things about myself or thing like thinking of things about myself that I actually really like or really admire, which is really good for your self esteem, (laughs) you know, for you to be proud of yourself and like think that you've, you've put forth this effort and you see it and, and you recognize yourself for it. And I think that's a really big thing for me too. Um, I hate all of the kind of like stereotypical self-care things like, you know, make a healthy meal or take a shower or take a bubble bath or go to the spa. I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. But like, those are like, for me, like eating a nutritious meal and taking a shower is like one of the number one self-care things for me. That's why I hate food. So that makes sense for me. Well, that's wild. My thing is like I have a tendency to not eat, especially when I'm depressed. Like I I skip meals and stuff, and you know have gone through like pretty major weight loss episodes and shit like that weren't good. 
yeah, just like making a really nutritious smoothie and like drinking that instead of skipping a meal, you know, waking up and taking a shower before I start work in the morning. Just stuff like that. I mean, taking a shower, especially if I'm in a depressive episode and I haven't showered for a while, um, does help. Like, don't get me wrong. That one does actually do something. But for the most part, I found like typical self-care things to not really do anything for me. So I kind of kind of forge my own path, so to speak. Um, But it works for me. Nice. Here's something crazy. And um, I I just wanted to mention this. So something I've been trying to do lately is reconstruct that year of 2015. I've been working on a second memoir, which is like fucking insane. It's like how egotistical must one be to have not one but now two memoirs, I guess. I mean, you got a whole life between 2015 and today. <laughs> yeah. And what I'm trying to do with this second memoir is really go back and dig deep and talk about things that when I wrote my first book, I, I didn't want to talk about because they were a little too sensitive at the time or whatever, because I think there's a lot of other stuff that I really want to share with people that wasn't really like fully explored in that first book. So anyway, like whatever, I've been writing this fucking book and mm-hmm. I'm trying to reconstruct time periods in my life where I was like very, very manic and very psychotic and very intoxicated. And there's just these weird like time periods where I just, I, I don't know like what was happening in my life. So I've been trying to put pieces together through reading back through like my archive of journals that I've kept over the years and even going back through really old email chains from like a really long time ago, going back through old Facebook posts and stuff. But one of the things that I really want to do is get my records from the psychiatrist who first diagnosed me as bipolar. And I I want to read her notes that she kept on file about me. And I contacted her office earlier this week and tried to get the records and they haven't responded yet. But that's just something that I've been working on. And it's really, really fucking intense it was really i i'm scared it stresses me out that i even sent them that email in the first place and i, I mean talked you're to, you're legally obligated to be allowed to access your records yeah well here's the thing with so, with some psychotherapy notes doctors aren't required to disclose them to patients um there's a weird thing i was just I reading like that shouldn't be allowed <laughs> I, I agree with you i was just reading through like hipaa.gov though and as with so many things people with mental illness are treated differently and i have a completely legitimate need to personally review those records that were on file about me and there's gonna be stuff in there that's really fucking intense but what i want to do with it is like get the records and then get together with my therapist my current therapist 
and like go through them discuss. <laughs> and discuss and, yeah. and process and try to like really, really like get in there and figure some shit out. Like, I think that would be tremendously, first of all, it fascinates me just like on an intellectual, like a personal intellectual level. Yeah, you're a very introspective person. That makes Yeah. Sense. Like I, I'm introspective. I, I love psychology. I love finding patterns and things and learning more about myself and shit. I, I really want it for that reason. And then I also think that it would genuinely really help inform my current treatment plan because things have been getting weird lately. And I just, I, I want the full story. I'm, I'm sick of like thinking back on these sessions with that psychiatrist where I was just like ranting at her and I saw her taking all these notes and I, I'm just like, I wonder what's in there. And I, I don't think they're obligated to necessarily provide them to me based off of uh, the research I've been doing. And also based off of the fact that in the state of Virginia, I think they only have to keep those records on file for five years. So it's been like seven or eight years. So it's been a while. So for the crowd, that's something I'm working on. We'll see what comes of it. Probably nothing. I almost hope nothing comes of it, but we'll see. Noble endeavor. <laughs> Thanks. Have you ever uh, seen case notes that they take on people when you're like at the hospital for a psych thing? Um, no, I've not really paid attention. They're creepy, dude. You should, um, you should look at some examples online. It's very disturbing in the way that you're described in a clinical context. And I kind of want to really fucking freak myself out, I guess, and, and read those notes myself. I don't I'd know. Be what, I'd be interested to hear in like what you learn about yourself. I, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with me that compels me to do these things, but Maybe you're mentally are. ill. That's what's wrong. <laughs> mentally ill. <laughs> This is what I do with my free time. <laughs> I um, love psychology, though. So, like, I'm that bitch. I'm with you. <laughs> yo, when I was 18 years old, get this. So, I, um, when I was like six or seven, mm -hmm. I had to do like this full psychological testing battery because, like, I had behavioral health problems and a learning disability when I was a kid. So I had to get all this psychological testing done and, you know, like they did all the cognitive stuff, like yeah. Rorschach tests, because I guess they were still doing those at the time. And anyway, like collected all this fucking information about like mm -hmm. six or seven year old me. And then when I was 18, I had just, I was just about to graduate high school and I was going through like some filing cabinets that my parents had because I was looking for some, like, like a social security card or something. I, like, I don't fucking know. Something very normal. I ended up finding like this full dossier that had all of the notes from those specialists who I saw when I was like six or seven. And I actually- Did you read them? I read through the whole thing. Yeah, it was like 25 pages of documents um, just talking about one of the things that I recall. And unfortunately, I haven't been able to find it since then. I don't know what happened to it. I suspect, Those documents? Yeah, yeah. I suspect that my parents may have thrown them away while I was in college or something. 
But um, one of the things that stood out to me in the notes is it was like patient displays signs of hypervigilance. So I'm like, wow, like that really, really fucking went back a long way, I guess. <laughs> You're like, that really stuck with me, didn't it? <laughs> really did stick with me. Yeah, I I really want to read back through. I, I wish I could find it, but I, I don't know. Um, yeah, so that was, I don't know, just a trippy life experience. Okay, Rowan, are you interested in connecting with people on social media? Do you even use Twitter anymore? I do. Um, I am kind of scattered across a lot of different social media, depending where you're at and what my mood is. Um, but across social media, I am either at Manic Dream Girl, who uh, are in girl, or at Manic Depressive Dream Girl, if the handle's long enough. That was my Instagram. Uh, again, to ours in girl. Rowan, it's been a pleasure having you back on the show. Thank you for shooting the shit with me tonight. Literally happy to anytime, man. I genuinely enjoy you as a human. Thank you so much. I enjoy you as a human. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Hunter Keegan. Today's guest was Rowan Hart. Be sure to check out the episode description if you'd like to find her on social media. If you haven't listened to it yet and would like to hear more about my holiday incident, listen to episode 29, which is titled Hunter's Holiday Crisis and Whack Drug Relapse. Remember to follow me on Twitter at Bipolar Recorder or at H.H. Keegan. We're also on Instagram and Mastodon now. Have a wonderful and safe day, evening, or night, wherever you are. Bipolar Recorder is a listener-supported show. To help keep the show running, consider checking out our Patreon page or visiting BipolarRecorder.com. Unless otherwise stated, the hosts and guests on Bipolar Recorder are not licensed mental health professionals. Bipolar Recorder is not a substitute for therapy or professional medical intervention. If you are having a mental health crisis, please contact your local emergency services.